Have you been thinking about how to decide on which bond to invest in? You're in for some great insights as we will be discussing this in today's episode. I'm Feng Yi from Bond Supermart. Welcome to another episode of our podcast series where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. Now, investors looking to add bonds to their portfolio face a trade-off. The safer government bonds tend to pay lower yields, while higher-yielding copper bonds may have more risk. So how can investors decide on which bonds they should add to their portfolios? We pick into our analyst's brain to see how he evaluates if a bond is worth investing in. Hi Colin, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, I'm Colin, portfolio manager at IPAS, a bond research team, so I help uh, manage the DPMS portfolio for the company. Alright, thank you very much for coming on to our show. Now to set the stage, what are some of the popular type of bonds that are available out there? Alright, so broadly there are several types of bonds that tend to interest a local investor. So let me start off with something that has gotten a lot of tension lately, which is the Singapore Government Securities, or many of you guys may know it as uh, SGS. So a reason why they are generally popular is that SGS can be considered risk-free instruments, as it is backed by the Government of Singapore, which has the highest issuer rating at Moody's, S&P and Fitch, so AAA across all three. Wow. And being highly rated and a solid risk-free investment product also means that investors are likely to get their capital back. A popular uh, Singapore government securities is the Singapore Treasury Bills, T-Bills in short. Currently, the Singapore government offers six months as well as a one-year Treasury Bills. So right now, these Treasury Bills are yielding about 3.7%, which is considerably high across history. And right now, we are also seeing more demand for the six months Treasury Bills as investors can not only get comparable use of 3.7% based on the latest auction data, but also a shorter tenor. Another popular government bond is the Singapore Savings Bonds, the SSBs. And the SSB has a 10-year tenor, but allows investors flexibility to exit in any given month before it matures without penalties. So another popular type of bonds uh, for local investors are thermostic link bonds. So I'm sure many of you guys have heard of the thermostic link uh, companies. So simply put, these are bonds issued by companies in which thermostic has a substantial holding in. So one way investors can get clarity on the credit worthiness of a bond is by looking at the issuer's underlying shareholders. So in Singapore, one of the strongest corporate shareholders would be the Masek Holdings, which has been known to flex its financial muscle and aid companies in times of difficulties. So let me give you an example. Uh, just two years ago, during the 2020 COVID period of heightened uncertainty, Singapore Airlines was hit very hard by the travel restrictions, which resulted in a dramatic operating loss. And as a result, uh, the Masek uh, Holdings, which then uh, owned about 55% of SIA, together with uh, several others, helped put together a funding package. So this funding package is worth roughly almost uh, 20 billion Sing dollars for SIA to tide over short-term liquidity and all these uh, other operational expenditure needs. And some of the other examples of the Masek Link companies that issue bonds are your capital land, Capital Corp as well as Singpost. And on top of that, I think another typical favourite of local investors are bank bonds, especially the more established bank names. 
So from our observation, local investors tend to have a general interest in both overseas and local banks. So this is not surprising as bank bonds make up a significant portion of this SGD bond market. Take for example, in the first half of 2023, financials, which includes other non-bank financial institutions, accounts for almost 80% of the total issuance in Singapore. And the majority of these issuance were banks. So not surprising, as uh, banks are incentivized to borrow more to increase lending as elevated interest rates allow them to benefit from high net margin, net interest margins. Also, if you look at the type of issuance by banks, we think that investors tend to also gravitate towards uh, the bank's perpetual bonds as well as 81 bonds as these bonds tend to be riskier but the higher yield may make them more attractive to some investors. Right. And uh, lastly, another segment that never fails to pick uh, investors' interests are high yield bonds. So as the name suggests, these bonds tend to be riskier and of, often offer higher yields to investors. So we think high yield bonds tend to interest investors as uh, for a long, long time, we have been living with near zero interest rates. And this is largely dictated by the, the Federal Reserve, which have kept uh, rates low over the past decade or so. And as a result, the return on that the bonds uh, often seems unattractive compared to equities. So eventually, this drove uh, many investors around the world to take on more risk and to hunt for yields. This was generally okay for a long time as the global economic backdrop was fine, the global growth was fine as well despite the trade war and on top of that, the US managed to avoid a, a recession in 2018. So overall, credit fundamentals were generally supportive of investors taking risks as well as chasing yields. But that said, with the current challenging macro backdrop, uh, we are becoming more cautious towards a high yield and also lean towards safer investment grade bonds. Mm. So all in all, I think these are just some of the uh, key areas that interest investors, especially local investors, uh, looking for bonds uh, and looking for uh, higher yield and higher returns over the past couple of years. Right, I hear you. So there are bank bonds, higher yielding bonds, the market mean bonds. So with so many bonds out there in the market, as an analyst, how do you actually get started on sieving through you know, the investment opportunities out there? Are there any factors that we should take note of? Yes, that's a great point. And just the universe of SGD bonds alone is already quite extensive and enough to overwhelm beginner investors. So for your questions, I will try to answer it uh, from a beginner investor perspective. For a start, I think uh, it is always uh, good to know how much yield an investors can get from government securities. For mm. example, the most recent one-year Singapore T-bills have a cut-off yield of about 3.7% and this sets a floor for the expected yield one can get without any risk for a period of 12 months. As well as you screen for opportunities, you can focus on bonds that offer you a higher yield than the risk-free rate of, let's say, 3.7%, because you can get that much without significant risk. Another thing to consider is uh, how the broader macro picture will affect your bond investment. So, for example, if you prefer high-grade bonds given the slowing global growth as well as tightening uh, credit conditions, you can begin by looking at a pool of safer bonds. For example... Bonds that uh, are not uh, high-yielding bonds, bonds that are less risky. So you eliminate those bonds and mm. narrow down the pool of bonds into a more focused list. So within this list, you can try to find bonds that are offering uh, attractive yields, yields that are larger than 3.7%, which you get from the risk-free rates, and yields that are also ideally above average in the pool. 
So let's say you found a bond offering a, say, 5% uh, yield to maturity. So deter- to determine its uh, attractiveness, I think investors can ask themselves several important questions. Mm. So does, firstly, does this commensurate with the remaining years to maturity? So a 5% yielding bond with uh, 30 years remaining to maturity would be less attractive than one that matures in three years. Mm. Simply because the longer it takes to mature, the higher probability that something may go wrong in between. And also the next important question to ask is whether this uh, 5% commensurate with the company risk. So most of the time, uh, bond yields are higher for a reason. So a company may be perceived as more risky and therefore has a, a higher credit spreads to compensate for the risk an investor takes. So this alone will drive up the yield. So an investor should also think about the company risk alongside with the levels of yield that they are being compensated. Therefore, some homework has to be done to gauge how safe a company is. So this involves uh, some fundamental work like looking at a company's uh, profitability, uh, leverage, uh, Mm. debt profile, coverage, and also some of the other stuff like liquidity and cash flow. Mm. So collectively, by assessing all these different aspects, it should inform the investors whether a company can make regular bond payments and potentially pay out the capital once it matures. It is also good to note if the bond has any particular fee such as uh, callability, loss absorption, etc. etc. So sometimes all these different features will also affect the bond's uh, potential return and attractiveness for investors. So all in all, I think this point should help guide a beginner investors to better identify and select bond opportunities. Mm, I think that's a good point because we always say like high risk, high return. So it's important to do your homework to assess whether it's suitable and does it suit the investor's risk appetite. Um, so just now we were talking more of like, you know, looking at how the company um, has potential, making money, profit making. Um, are there also reference points that we can take from that, say the macro environment um, to draw reference and see if it's actually suitable for investing? Yes, uh, taking the macro environment or even the sector backdrop into account will provide investors with a more holistic approach to bond selection where I believe a top-down meets a bottom-up approach. So let me share two examples. First, if uh, global growth is slowing, financial conditions are tightening and defaults are picking up, it makes sense to look for stronger issuers. So like investment-grade bonds and uh, investment-grade issuers. So sometimes it's also, it also makes sense to look at sovereign issues as opposed to corporate credits because for riskier, high-yield issuers, credit fundamental may tend to weaken more dramatically and therefore they tend to face a greater risk of credit downgrade or even default. Also, prices tend to fall as investors rotate out of these riskier bonds and into safer bonds. So secondly, if an investor expects central banks to cut rates soon and policy rates uh, have stabilized, it would make sense for them to lean into longer duration bonds and get that duration effect, which can help bump up bond prices. Mm. So to uh, execute this view, investors can add longer tenor government bonds to their portfolios. And in contrast, if an investor expects further rate hikes and the Treasury yield curve to be still inverted, it also makes sense to be exposed to the shorter duration bonds, which can give you a comparable yield. Mm, I see. Okay, now let's touch a little bit on bond funds. Uh, what are the factors that you consider when selecting the bond fund to recommend or invest in? 
Alright, so first and foremost, bond funds are run by fund manager who selects bonds based on their analysis and assessment with the aim of beating the underlying benchmark, which is an index it tracks. So simply put, a bond fund holds a bunch of underlying bonds that mirrors the index that it tracks, but most of the time, the underlying bonds differ from the index. So to beat the underlying index, the fund manager may add, remove certain bonds or increase, decrease allocation to certain bonds as well. So at IFAS research, uh, selecting the right bond fund is very important and involves uh, assessing several different factors. So let's start off with the performance of the fund. So while past performance, as many say, is not indicative of future returns, looking at the historical performance definitely gives you a sense of how the fund and fund managers have performed across various economic cycles and also at the different inflection points, so the peaks and troughs of the markets. So it is also important to look at the consistency of this return and several questions we, can, we need to consider uh, are is the fund manager consistent across the cycles? Has she, he or she done well, uh, not only during market uptrend, but during downtrend as well? And also relative performance is important. And this involves looking at how the fund fares against its peers, as well as the benchmark over time in various time periods. Mm. So for example, the year to date, uh, one year, three year, etc. So at IFAS, we put uh, a more emphasis on longer-term returns and therefore we lean towards funds that have fed well over the longer-term period. So the second thing that investors can look at uh, is the cost of fund. So this is often expressed by the expense ratio as I believe many of the, the audience are familiar. So more often, the lower it is, the better. But that said, higher costs does not mean that the fund is not within consideration. So there are many other reasons for high costs. But uh, what matters most is that the higher expense ratio is justified by the fund's stronger performance. And in other words, the investor is paying more for better returns. Mm. And uh, one more thing investor can assess is the risk profile of the fund. So selecting a fund with great outperformance against its peers is not enough. And uh, investors should take into account the degree of risk that, that must be accepted to, in, in order to deliver a certain set of returns. So ultimately, we are looking for funds that have managed risk well better than its peers and hopefully better than the benchmark. And the risk for the funds can also be gauged by metrics such as uh, maximum drawdown, downside volatility for the fund over the various periods like year-to-date, one-year, three-year, five years, for example. Mm. So frankly speaking, there are thousands, if not more, bond funds available for local investors and many times selecting the right product may be a headache. So what uh, I've mentioned are just some useful screens investors can adopt to narrow down their fund choice. But of course, investors can further refine their fund choice by incorporating their own view. So let me elaborate. If you are positive on uh, Asian investment-grade bonds, but not so positive on China bonds, for example, you can look for a fund that has an underweight or smaller allocation to the latter. So this fund can provide you a diversified exposure to the Asian IG space while tapering down the direct exposure to China. I see. Um, thanks for sharing. Uh, I think we mentioned about bonds and we also touched a little bit on bond funds. So now it's about putting them together. So for yourself, you're both an analyst and also a portfolio manager. So how do you actually decide if a bond is suitable for adding to a portfolio that you already have on hand? Because I feel like many investors out there, they probably face the struggle of choosing what they deem as you know, the right investment tool to add to their current portfolio. 
All right, I think that's a very good question. So for context, I manage a portfolio that primarily invests in equities and fixed income uh, through carefully selected funds as well as ETFs. So most of the fixed income exposure are through bond funds. So let me take a couple of steps back and briefly walk through a simple uh, portfolio construction process. So even before uh, even picking the bonds or bond funds from a portfolio perspective, an investor needs to uh, determine the intra inter and intra-asset allocation. So this simple portfolio process uh, starts by deciding the inter-asset allocation, which means to determine which asset class the portfolio would invest in. So this can be equity, fixed income, cash, or even alternatives like uh, commodities or even real estate. Mm. So different asset class has different risk and returns level. So for example, equities offer relatively higher returns and than fixed income, but they come at a much higher volatility and risk. Bonds, on the other hand, are typically seen as anchors that stabilize a portfolio due to their lower risk, but uh, returns are typically lower than equity. But given today's uh, climate of higher risk-free rates, which have pushed up uh, bond yields, the total return for bonds have definitely improved. Mm. So for investors that are mostly invested in equities, it is good to introduce some uh, bonds exposure to the portfolio which can benefit in the long run. An equity bonds uh, portfolio can also enjoy the merits of diversification across these two uh, lowly correlated asset class which have proven to improve the longer-term risk return of the entire portfolio. Mm. So after deciding which uh, asset class to invest in, investors should also determine the exposure to each asset class based on their individual risk return profile. So for example, an investor with lower risk uh, tolerance can assign a lower weight to equities and consequently a higher weight to fixed income. So your next step is then the intra-asset allocation. So investors in this process need to decide which sub-segments to invest in within the asset class. So the purpose of this is to enhance portfolio diversification and for the investor to express more granular investment views. Alright, so speaking of sub-segments, how do you actually segment an asset class further? Alright. Yes, there are multiple ways to segment an asset class further. So for instance, uh, bonds can be segmented based on uh, markets such as uh, US, Europe, Asian bonds, credit quality, speculative or high grade or even the types of bonds such as your sovereigns, your corporates, etc. So investors can determine the underlying exposure to each asset class segment based on their individual views and risk profile. So for example, if an investor has low risk tolerance and sees US bonds as more attractive, he or she can assign a higher weight to US investment grade bonds while having a lower weight to riskier US bonds. So we recommend investors to build a diversified approach and avoid concentrated exposure by having allocation across different segments of the bond market. Right, thanks for sharing. So we see the importance of including bonds in our portfolio as part of a diversified approach. Now to do that, are there any financial indicators or rubrics that you think could be useful for investors for selecting a bond that they want to invest in? Alright, we think it is useful to look at bond issuers in five broad areas to help determine if the issuer has a healthy credit profile. So profitability is the first one. So this involves looking at how the company makes money and how earnings have been. So investors can start off uh, by looking at key line items from the income statement, such as your revenue, EBIT, EBITDA, as well as uh, net income. So looking at a year-on-year -year level or quarter-on-quarter -quarter level growth, we'll also understand the growth rates as well. It is important to understand the company's cost as well. For that, I think investors can look at the cost of goods sold, operating costs, interest, expense of the companies etc 
And also margins are important uh, for investors. And also understanding margins are important to looking at the profitability of the company. So investors can look at things such as your gross margin, operating margins, or even your net margin. Secondly, leverage is also a big part of credit analysis. So investors should understand the debt profile, like the breakdown of short-term to long-term debt, secured to unsecured, the amount of fixed rate debt, for example, versus the amount of uh, variable rate debt. It is also important to know how debt levels has trended and the potential for more debt financing. So some useful ratios would include the total debt to the EBITDA ratio, the net debt to EBITDA and the gearing ratios, for example. And it's also important for a business to be able to repay interest expenses. And by looking at pre-tax coverage can also help clarify the picture. So some ratios that are commonly used are the EBIT or EBITDA to interest expense. And also investors can look at fixed charge uh, coverage, which is the sum of EBIT uh, plus fixed charge over the sum of uh, fixed charge uh, and interest expense. And the next, uh, liquidity is also a big aspect of credit analysis. And for this, investor can look at the amount of cash and short-term investment, for example. And can this amount cover short-term debt and potentially also long-term debt as well? And uh, does the company have any available or unutilized lines of credits which can potentially improve their liquidity position? So some useful ratios will also include the commonly used uh, current cash or uh, quick ratios. Last but not least, uh, cash flow which is another crucial aspect of uh, credit analysis. So this would involve assessing the company's uh, balance sheet in order to understand how cash is generated. So these include things such as the operating cash flow and free cash flow. So some good to know ratios include the uh, operating cash flow over revenue, operating cash flow over debt, for example. I see. We have covered many things thus far and since we are sharing on what a bond analyst would want investors to know in this episode, as we approach the end of the podcast, this may be a bit tough, but could you share with us what is one piece of information you wish to highlight for our audience to take away? While bonds may have the traditional notion of a safer investment with regular distribution, investing in bonds also requires some homework like any other investments. So higher yields do not necessarily make the bond or bond fund a more attractive investment as we have discussed throughout this podcast. So hopefully some of these frameworks as well as checklists discussed can help investors pick out attractive bond opportunities. Indeed. So I hope that the checklist will be helpful for investors and thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Now, this episode was brought to you by Bond Supermart. I'm Feng Yi and our guest speaker with us today is Portfolio Manager Colin Lo. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook and Telegram to get first-hand updates on new bond issues, credit updates and special events. For bond information and article, visit our website bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. 